starting at Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It's the story of the uh, birth of Jesus being foretold, starting in Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How would this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who will be called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. We pray that as we look at it in these next few moments, that you would bless this time, that you would cause our hearts to be um, overjoyed with the fact that you came to us, that you kept your promise made to us back in the garden, and that you have sent your son to be the savior of the world. And as we look at these um, descriptions on Jesus and about Jesus, that they would cause our heart to leap with joy, not only that you have saved us, but that you are an amazing God. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, this is the last sermon in this uh, Christmas series that we're doing, The Coming of the Snake Crusher. And Chris, a few weeks back, started us off in Genesis chapter 3, which we've uh, read a couple times. But in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, there's something called the Proto-Evangelium, that just Latin for first gospel, proto-first evangelium gospel. It's the very first time in the Bible the good news of Jesus or the gospel is spelled out. And so uh, ever since, uh, if you're reading the text, ever since you see that in Genesis chapter 3, as you read through the Old Testament, as a reader of the Old Testament, you notice something and then therefore you're looking for something. So in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, this is uh, when when, uh, God is speaking to the serpent and speaking to Eve. He says this, I will put enmity between you, that's the serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and her Offspring. So as a reader of the Old Testament, you're thinking, okay, there's going to be enmity between the offspring of these two. And so I want to know who these offspring are. And then after it says that, it says, and he shall bruise your head. The offspring of the woman will be the one who bruises the head or destroys the head or crushes the head of the serpent. And the serpent's offspring will bruise his heel. So he's going to strike in some kind of way that's going to make it seem like he's going to have victory. This would be the cross. And that the end, at the close of the day of Friday, we think, oh no, has the serpent won? That's the, the striking of the heel. Well, in the the resurrection when Jesus comes back to life, that's the crushing of the head of the serpent. And so Chris started us off um, 
in Genesis chapter 3 a couple weeks back when we started this series as we've been tracing through the Old Testament. And as we've been reading through the Old Testament, we notice there's this, there's this offspring, this offspring of the woman that's coming. And as we read, each time there's a birth of a baby in the Old Testament, we wonder, oh, is this the offspring? Is this the one that God's talking about that's going to set everything right? And then as that person grows, uh, we say, oh, it's not the, not the offspring in the Old Testament because this person is a sinner and they, they do wrong things. Certainly they have good traits and they, they in some way foreshadow shadow the the offspring capital o but this one's not and so as you keep reading through the old testament you keep wondering oh where's the offspring where's the offspring where's the offspring that's going to set this whole broken world right and bring us back to the condition that we had before the fall in the garden and so as we're coming through into luke chapter one the offspring because there there is no offspring born um that's the messiah in the old testament now the old testament and new testament together are the full canon of god the bible and so when we enter the the New Testament reading, we, we should be thinking, where is this baby? Where is the offspring? And then right there in the beginning, as we read those first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the four gospels, there's an announcement of a baby. So automatically all of us who have all been reading the Old Testament, who are alert, great readers are thinking, we're looking for this offspring. And what does, what does this angel announce to Mary? Nothing but except in verse 31, and behold, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And our theological antennas are all raised and saying, oh, wait a second. Here's another offspring. Maybe this is the offspring. Uh, This must be the one. And so uh, as we're going through this text today, we're going to zoom in on 31 through 33. And very simply, what I want you to see today is these great biblical descriptions of Jesus that help us understand that he is the promised Messiah from the Proto-Evangelium, Genesis 3.15. And really, um, as we look at this, see these great descriptions of Jesus, again, that perhaps you've read many, many times, and cause your heart to rejoice that God would be so good to send us His Son. And so as you see these biblical descriptions of Jesus, uh, let them uh, cause your heart to rejoice that He would love us this much. So the first thing that we saw, as I pointed out, in Luke chapter 1, verse 31, it says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb... And bear a son. That brings us to number one. That Jesus, there it is, is the promised offspring. All the way back to Genesis chapter 3.15. The the snake crusher is going to come. And we've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And he hasn't come. And here we see that this, this woman, Mary, has conceived in her womb. And she's going to bear a son. And it tells us, as we read through the entire gospel, that he is the promised offspring. And this means... God is faithful. God has kept his promise. It it wasn't in our measure of time, humanly speaking, that we would think the way it would happen, but it happened in the fullness of time and his perfect timing. And number one, as we see that Jesus is the promised offspring. He is the promised one. You can also, as you keep reading, see another description. And and perhaps you've become so, and I have become so familiar with this word that it doesn't capture us exactly, but let's keep reading. It says, for you have found favor, um, Verse 31, you conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. We're going to come back to the second part of 31 and keep going. And he will be great. He will be great. That's number two. Jesus is great. Now, the word greats overused so much. You know, this cheeseburger is great or this football team is great. And so it's (laughs) it's become so overused that perhaps it loses uh, the, the the punch that it packs whenever we think about Jesus and realize that he is great. Remember, as it describes creation, it over and over, it says creation. It says 
good, 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 good. It doesn't say great. As it describes creation, which is amazing when you walk outside and see everything that God put into place. And here it says that Jesus is great. Just to maybe capture our, our, uh, our minds a little bit more to try to get an understanding of what it means when we think about the greatness of God. In Isaiah chapter 6, uh, he, he sees God seated on the throne. And whenever he does, in chapter uh, 6 verse 3, it says, And one called to another, there's these angels that are around this. And it says, And one called to another, and they, they call out all day long, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And this lets us understand just how great he is in heaven. Angels must surround him constantly forever singing, holy, 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 the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And this is who Mary has in her, um, in her womb. She has the promised offspring. And this, another description of Jesus is that he is great. So we should use that word sparingly, I think, as the Bible would help us understand that not everything actually is great, but Jesus actually is great. Verse 32, his name will be great. And it says, and he will be called the son of the most high, the son of the most high. So this means that he is going to be God himself over and over. We know that Jesus claims to be the son of God. And so when it says that he's the son of the most high, that he is also, as we read through the book of John, especially in the prologue, John one, one through 18, that he He is the word. He is the word was with God and the word was God. So he's not just the son of the most high, but he also is the most high repeatedly over and over, especially through the book of John. He uses this Greek phrase, ego, Amy. It means I am over and over saying that he is the I am. And what does that mean? It points us back to Exodus chapter three, verse 14, when Moses tells, ask God, who should I say sent me? And he says, tell him I am that I am sent you. And so we realize this is the, the tetragrammaton or the word Yahweh, um, mean, meaning Lord. Tell him that the Lord of all lords has sent you. Tell him that I am what I am has sent you. And so this I am, as it's carried forth throughout the scriptures, carries great weight with it. We know as we see I am together that it means someone is claiming to be God. And so in Exodus 3.14, tell him that the Lord, the God of all has sent you. So when you read through the book of John and over and over, Jesus is calling himself the I am. He's calling himself not just the son of the most high, but also equal with God as the most high. And just for one example, John eight fifty eight, when he looks at the Pharisees, he says, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. So he's not just saying I lived before Abraham and I, I've been around a long time. He's actually saying that he has existed from eternity past, that he is God. And we know that that's exactly how these are unbelievers. We know this exactly how they took it, that he's claiming to be God. Because if you read after that in John, that's 858. They became extremely mad and they say blasphemy. And they, how can you say that you're God? And so here he claims not just to be the son of God, but also God himself. So he is the promised offspring. He is great. He's the son of the most high. Also, if you keep reading, it says, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Number four, Jesus is the ruler of David's 
throne. As we've been going through 1 Kings and even um, as we've been going through this sermon series, when we talked about who David is, we've read numerous times in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 7 through 17. This is where God comes to David and tells him that from you, David, the Messiah is going to come, this messianic Davidic promise that's given to him. Um, but I'll just read one verse in 2 Samuel seven thirteen. Uh, half of it, he says to David, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So he looks at David and he says, David, one of your children, one of your sons one day is going to establish the throne of the kingdom forever. And so as we're reading through the Old Testament, we say, wow. So the the offspring of David is going to be the one who's going to set up the kingdom forever. And so we're looking because David represents um, the king of God's people. Whenever you speak of David, um, in any time in the Old Testament, he is the greatest king of Israel always. And so David represents the kingdom, the monarchy. And so whenever we see here that he will rule in verse 32, whenever he says that he will be the ruler of the throne of his father, David, this means since David represents the king, that Jesus will be the king of kings. He falls into the line of this Davidic promise that's made in 2 Samuel 13, where he's going to establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Jesus is the fulfillment of this messianic promise, meaning Jesus is the king of Israel. And when we talk about Jesus as king, kingdom, we need to make sure we understand, like, he's not like any other king. Every other king is... Um, concentrated into a geographical space. They're the king of this little square of the earth. And here's another king of this little square of earth. But they're also concentrated into chronological time. They get to be a king for their birth, you know, until they become into it, until they die. This is not like Jesus. Jesus is not king for a small chronological time. He's king forever. Jesus is not king of a region of the earth. He's king of the whole earth forever. And so when we see this promise that the angel is making to Mary, he's saying he is the promised offspring from Genesis chapter three. He's great, greater than anyone ever. He is God. He's the son of most high, but he's also the king, the king of all kings. And if you keep reading, um, another promise that's made is that he is the Messiah. If you look at that in verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. So number five, Jesus reigns over Jacob's house forever. There is no end to him reigning over Jacob's house. This means he's the Messiah. To quote Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, to him, talking about Jesus, the offspring that comes, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So the fulfillment of all the prophecies given to us in the Old Testament of this coming prophet, I mean, I'm sorry, this, car, this coming Messiah that's going to set everything right, is finally given to the people of Israel in Jesus Christ. And so uh, this Christmas season is about remembering the fact that there was great anticipation with all of God's people up until this point, and here he is given to them, the promised offspring, the great, the son of the most high, God himself, the ruler of David's throne, the king, and the Messiah, the ruler over Jacob's house forever, is now being born. And there's amazing rejoicing between the shepherds and the angels that day because God had fulfilled the promise of Genesis chapter 3 right at the fall. And therefore, all of us now are great recipients of this. The last thing, and maybe the most important, which is back in verse 31, is this. He said, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son. And here it is. And you shall call his name Jesus, you shall call his name Jesus. The sixth biblical description of Jesus is this, is that Jesus is salvation. 
Jesus is salvation. So Jesus, as it's kind of uh, transliterated, meaning the Greek word Jesus is kind of turned into an English word for us, Jesus. The Greek word is Jesus. Jesus is how you pronounce it in the Greek. Well, in the Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in, you have Jesus. But if you take that word in the Old Testament as it's written, it's translated or transliterated to another name, which is Joshua. Joshua and Jesus, same name. They both mean the same thing. And they both mean salvation of God. And so here when it says you will call his name Jesus, it means you will call him the salvation of God, the salvation that's given to us, um, namely through this person, Jesus. Now, Luke doesn't expand very much on what this means. He just says, you're going to call him Jesus. Mary knew what this meant. Um, but praise the Lord, Matthew, um, explains to us even more what it means. So if you want to, you can flip over with me just two books. You're going to call his name Jesus. But what is exactly does that mean to call him Jesus or Joshua or salvation of God? It means this. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 explains to us exactly what it means to call him Jesus. When you say Jesus is salvation. Matthew 120 says, 120 says, she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, just like Luke. But then it adds this, this little four, this little four means, and here's what that name means. And here's what it means for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. And so this is what it means when it says Jesus is salvation, that he is, his name is Jesus. It means he saves us from our sins. So just to take each one of those little phrases, he will save his people from his sins and help us uh, understand the full impact. Jesus, he means Jesus. He's the only one that can save us. John 14, six says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. There is no salvation found in any other name except through Jesus. And so we say he, meaning Jesus, it's not like Jesus is one of the people that offer salvation. He's the only person that offers salvation, John 14, 6. Or Acts 4, 12, which says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So he will save his people from their sins. He is important because he is not one of many. He is the only. He will save he will save. What does it mean to be saved? Saved from what? Saved from whom? Saved from ourself? Saved from someone trying to harm me? Saved from something? What is this salvation that's being offered or been offered to me? What does it mean to be saved? This is what biblically salvation means. And it's not just kind of being saved away from something, but it's also being saved to something. Saved means that you're being emancipated. You're being pulled away from the greatest evil there is, namely your own and my own sin, the guilt, the pollution and the power and the punishment of sin that we rightly deserved. We're being emancipated from that greatest evil because we're born in the line of Adam, but we're not just pulled to a neutral spot where like that's, that's away, but being saved also means now being placed in the possession of the greatest good, namely Jesus. This is what needs to happen. That's why he's the only one that can do it. He's going to save us. He's going to save us from our sins and then place us in his own possession, which is a great thing. It's a great thing. He will save his people. He will save his people. What does this mean? His people. Jesus died for his people. He loves them. Those that 
call upon him will be saved. Those who confess that they're sin, sinners and confess that they need to be saved and ask Jesus to forgive them, claim the cross as their only hope to be saved. All of Jesus' righteous put on them. Those are his people. And if you've called on him and placed your, forgive, your, your uh, trust in him, then you are his people. He will save his people and then it's from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. And what does this mean? It means that you can't just uh, try to be a religious person and do your thing and try to be a good person and be happy and that you can live your life however you want to be saved or to just one day hope that all the scales get right with God. That's not what it means. He will save his people from their sins. We all are sinners. We have a universal problem of sin because of Genesis 3, 5, chapter 3. We're all born in the line of Adam and we all need redemption from that. We all need to be saved from that. As Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if every one of us does a simple self-assessment, we realize that to be true. We realize it to be true. And when we think about that, it can become a, a desperate position for us to be in. The psalmist writes of this desperate position of realizing how, how, how sinful we are. In Psalm 38, 10, my heart throbs, my strength fails me in the light of my eyes. It is also gone from me. It's helping us understand as we realize that we're sinners, that we need redemption. We need salvation. We need to be emancipated from all of our sin and then pl- be placed in the possession of Jesus. And the only person that can do this, the only person that can offer us atonement or rescue or release and deliverance and liberation and salvation, recovery to be bought and purchased by Jesus and then put into his property. The only person that can do that is Jesus. That's why this announcement in Luke one thirty one is not just for Mary, but it's for all people. And it's an unbelievable announcement. The uh, Christ has been born. The snake crusher, the serpent stomper has come and he is going to set everything right. The very first gospel that was given in Luke, I'm sorry, in Genesis chapter 315, that promise has been kept by God the Father. And everyone for all time has been looking for it. And now that's what Christmas is all about. Celebrating that God is a promise keeper. And he sends his son as a baby, but so much more than that. So much more than that. As we've read in these descriptions, he is the promised offspring. He's great. He's the son of a most high, but he also is God. He's the ruler of David's throne, which means he is the king. He reigns over Jacob's house forever as Messiah. And he literally is salvation for us. I want to close this way. Um, Maybe you want to close your eyes so that you can really hear these things and let it land on you. I want to close with um, almost all of the biblical descriptions of Jesus, the names of Jesus given to us in the Bible. Hear all these things and let these, uh, as you hear these descriptions, cause your heart to rejoice that these are who are Jesus, our Messiah, our King, our Savior. These are the things that are true about him. He's the first and the last, the beginning the, and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the Ancient of Days, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Anointed One, the Messiah, our prophet, priest, and king, our savior, our only wise God, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, the Lord, our Lord, almighty, door of the sheep, good shepherd, great shepherd, 
chief shepherd, shepherd and bishop of our souls, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, the logos, the word, the light, the light of the world, the light of life, the tree of life, the word of life, the bread that came down from heaven. He's the way, the truth and the life. He's the resurrection and the life, our rock, our bridegroom, our beloved, our redeemer, our head over all things, which is in his body, the church, God with us, Emmanuel, the snake crusher and the serpent stopper. He is the one that came from heaven to earth to save us from our sins. He is great. He's the son of the most high. He is God. He's the ruler of David's throne. He is the king. He reigns over the house of Jacob forever. He is the Messiah and he is the salvation of our souls. Jesus saves us from our sins. All the punishment was put on him at the cross and all of his righteousness and perfection put on us because of the resurrection. He is our savior. And this Christmas season, let's remember these things and celebrate it. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for being so gracious to us to send us your son, the one who offers us salvation, the one who is all of these things. We thank you, God, for loving us. We thank you for Jesus, our King, our Savior, our God, our Messiah, and our salvation, the only one that can save us. God, I pray as we think on this amazing promise that you kept all the way back at the fall, as we think on that you kept that and sent us your son and the offspring that was promised in Genesis 3.15 was born 2,000 years ago in Jesus, that our hearts would rejoice, that not only are you a promise keeper, but you are uh, our, our savior. You're the one who loves us, that you would save us from our sin. We pray that as we continue uh, in the service as we continue through Christmas Eve tonight with our families and as we continue tomorrow during Christmas Day that we would think on these things often. If there's anybody in our families that don't know you that we would want to share this great news with them and that they would be saved. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.